I want to read to you um, some, well, I want to read the whole first chapter of the book of First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians was probably the first letter that we have that the Apostle Paul wrote to a a first century church. And this was to a group of people that Paul cared deeply for. He had been part of the setup of that church community. He knew the people really well. And he had left them only because there were concerns for his own safety. And so he writes to reconnect with them. He had received a report that despite opposition... Despite struggle, the church was still going strong. 1 Thessalonians is a pastoral letter, a letter with, of, from someone charged with the care and oversight of this new Christian community, and it's a very, very positive, encouraging letter. It's the kind of letter that a board of elders or anyone serving in a church would love to get about the state of the church. This is a good report from Paul. And none other than Paul, an apostle chosen by God and entrusted with special responsibilities in God's church. And he had this to say about this church. This is the sort of letter that if Paul was still around and wrote a letter to Hume Ridge, this is what you'd hope he'd write. This is the sort of letter that Hume Ridge would love to get from Paul. So let's have a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It says this, I, Paul, together here with Silas and Timothy, send greetings to the church in Thessalonica. Christians assembled by God the Father and by the Master Jesus Christ. God's amazing grace be with you. God's robust peace. Every time we think of you, we thank God for you. Day and night, you're in our prayers as we call to mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in following our master, Jesus Christ, before God our Father. It is clear to us, friends, that God not only loves you very much, but has also put his hand on you for something special. When the message we preached came to you, it wasn't just words. Something happened in you. The Holy Spirit put steel in your convictions. You paid careful attention to the way we lived among you and determined to live that way yourselves. In imitating us, you imitated the master. Although great trouble accompanied the word, you were able to take great joy from the Holy Spirit. Taking the trouble with the joy, the joy with the trouble. Do you know that all over the provinces of both Macedonia and Achaia, believers look up to you. The word has gotten around. Your lives are echoing the master's words, not only in the provinces, but all over the place. The news of your faith in God is out. We don't even have to say anything anymore. You're the message. People come up and tell us how you received us with open arms how you deserted the dead idols of your old life so you could embrace and serve God, the true God. They marvel at how expectantly you wait the arrival of his son, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescued us from certain doom. That's a good letter. That's a good letter to a church, a good start. And there's heaps in this chapter that we could delve into. But this morning, I want to simply consider a couple of things. 
Firstly, Michael Gorman in his book, Becoming the Gospel, Paul, Participation and Mission, states, what seems to be the case is that the Thessalonian believers not only believed, but they also embodied and shared the gospel. They not only believed the gospel, they embodied and shared the gospel. They did so not merely in their tight-knit community, their church, but in the world, among their friends, relatives, associates, and so on. It seems highly likely then that the Thessalonian believers bore witness to their faith, hope, and love by what they did, what they did not do, and how they interpreted what they did and did not do in various venues. Seen this way, according to Gorman, holiness is not withdrawal from the world, as some might think. Rather, it is a kind of participation in the world in a radically new and different way. Holiness is not withdrawal from the world, as some might think. Rather, it is a kind of participation in the world in a radically new and different way. They embodied the gospel. This message about God's amazing love did not just stay as words. Paul wrote to these first century Christians and said, your lives are echoing the master's word. Not only in the provinces, but all over the place. The news of your faith is out. We don't even have to say anything anymore. You're the message. You're the message. They not only believed, they embodied the gospel. The good news of God's remarkable sacrificial love. A love that they lived out. A love that made room for the whosoever would come. A love that looked generous. A love that looked kind and gracious. A love that conveyed value and acceptance. Everyone was welcomed as an essential part of the whole. Everyone was welcomed as an essential part of the whole. Young, old, single, married, black, white, divorced, rich, struggling. All an essential part of the whole. I want to say to you strongly, we are less unless we see that. We are less unless we see that. That all are an essential part of the whole. And this is definitely where the challenge is when it comes to church. Because I want to say to you that it would be so much easier and more pleasant for me to do church with people who are just like me. People from the same background. People who shared the same political beliefs. People who had the same interests as me. People who came from the same economic background. It would be so much easier if the people I did church with just saw things like me. But the only problem is that God had other ideas when it came to church. And I hate to remind myself of this, but it's His. It's His. And I forget that sometimes. I forget that as Paul states in his opening lines to the Thessalonians, that they are Christians assembled by God the Father and by the Master Jesus Christ. They are assembled for his purpose. We are here for what he wants and to do it in a manner that is keeping with his how. And this is not negotiable. We are to do it his way. 
Anthony Billington, who serves with the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity, states that Paul sees the Thessalonians as a church with a great reputation that flows from all that God has done. This church has a great reputation that is flowing from what God is doing among them. And he goes on to say that reputations are built by people who aren't always looking over their shoulders to see what others think. Reputations are built by responses and actions that flow out of identity. Reputations are built by the responses and actions that flow out of identity. The Thessalonian Christians had strongly embraced their identity as defined and determined by God. They were determined to accept what God said about them, that they had been adopted, that they were children of God, that they had the full rights and responsibilities that came with that. Jackson went through that last week, that they were known and they were cherished. And this is how they saw themselves. And just as importantly, this is how they saw each other. Their identity was was affecting the way they saw themselves, but they were prepared to see each other's identity as well and to appreciate the value that God had placed on each and every person around them. They lived out what they believed were the implications of being part of God's family. And they sought to please and honour this father who loved them so wonderfully. They lived it. Their lives became the message so much so that Paul says that the news of their faith was out. People saw it in their lives. They saw what it looked like to belong to the family of God. Again, it's Billington who states that if you read the whole of 1 Thessalonians 1, and then you go and read 2 Thessalonians, the whole, the whole two books together, then the view of the church that emerges most strongly from these letters is that the church is the family of God. The language of family is used all the way through with the writer regularly addressing the Christians as brothers and sisters. He speaks about the need to love one another. He speaks about the need to build one another up. Their core identity was as children of God. They were part of this family. And as part of the family, they had incredible rights, but they had amazing responsibilities. Things that came with being part of the family. I enjoy watching sport. I'll watch all sorts of sport. And this time of the year, I want to say it's pretty intense. It's finals. And it has been pretty good so far if you follow the Lions or the Broncos. They are doing really well. Both have started their finals campaigns very impressively. Yeah, they're doing well. And I often um, try to read up on some of the teams that are doing well. I try to learn what, what's going on that actually helps some of these teams go well. In 2021, the Melbourne Demons, and that's an interesting name for a team that we should be talking about at church, but the Melbourne Demons, an AFL club, uh, won the premiership. They ended a 56-year drought 
a long time between premierships for the faithful followers. And in some of the recent years leading up to 2021, that team hadn't looked like they were going to threaten too many other teams. In 2020, they didn't even make the eight. They didn't even qualify for the finals. But in 2021, this team were just incredible. And I listened to a couple of interviews with some of the key players who, are, who were asked what had contributed to their success. One of the superstars of the AFL is a bloke called Christian Petrarca. He plays for the Melbourne team. He's regarded as one of the elite players in the AFL. And he was asked what made the difference between 2020 and 2021. Because in 2020, you couldn't even make the finals. In 2021, you came out and you just blew every other team off the park. He said this, we made a commitment over the break and in the off season to come back and to put words into actions. And to fulfill that and to be here is pretty surreal. Just to see how quickly we can turn it around. He went on to give concrete examples of specific actions and behaviours that players committed to for that season. One example that he gave, and I remember listening to this, was he talked about the fact that in that team they had some superstar players and journalists often went to those players. They went to some of the big name players to get interviews and they made a commitment as a team and these players made a commitment that any time a journalist came to talk to him or one of the other big name players, in the interview, they would deliberately and intentionally talk about one of the lesser known players and they would speak about the contribution, the important contribution one of these lesser known players was making to the team's success. Every time they were interviewed, they would turn the interview some way to speak about one of these lesser known players. And I watched the interviews. I deliberately went online and watched some of the interviews and I watched players like Petrarca and I watched Maxi Gorn talk about, just skillfully turn the interview away from themselves to talk about a lesser known player on their team who they wanted people to know was making just a brilliant contribution to what was happening in the team. Gorn and others became very skilled at turning interviews into opportunities. They wanted to praise lesser-known teammates, to build them up. This was their commitment. Did it affect their footy club? You better believe it. Max Gorn was the captain of the Melbourne team in 2021. Max Gorn is a bit of a character. And he spoke when he was asked what contributed to success. He spoke about a lot of things. But one of the things he spoke about was that on grand final day, he went around the change rooms and he plastered the famous words of one of Melbourne's favourite sons, former coach Neil Danaher, on the walls of the change rooms. The words that he plastered all over the walls were these words. When all is said and done, more is said than done. When all is said and done, more is said than done. And Gorn used these words in his captain's speech and again at half time to encourage and challenge his teammates to continue to put into action 
All of the things that they talked about as being important in a team. They had made a commitment as a team that any time they received a pass from a player that allowed them to kick a goal, they would deliberately turn around and point out the player that had passed the ball to them to acknowledge that player before everyone. And he reminded them that we made commitments and we need to put into action those commitments. Walk the walk and not just talk about what needs to be done. I want to tell you that I love the Christian church and I love this church, but I remember thinking that that saying sums up what is too often true in the church. That saying sums up way too often what is true in the church. When all is said and done, more is said than done. What might happen if we simply decided that we know that being a welcoming church is important? We know that it's good. We know that it lines up with what God would want this church to operate like. What would happen if this morning we all do something about that? What would happen if we actually decide to put that into action? We commit that not just will our words be about being welcoming, but we'll act on that. We'll practice it. And then in the weeks to come, each Sunday, we'll ask God to help us see that person who needs to be included or encouraged. We'll ask God to help us act. What would happen if we saw Sunday services not as a spectator sport, what if we saw that the words, when you feel like it, or when it's convenient, was never ever attached to the call to build up one another? What if it could be said, what seems to be the case is that the Humeridge believers not only believe, but also embody and share the gospel. They are the message. Finally, three things that I want to do as we wrap up. These are important things that are part of what I think help us operate as a family. Over the last couple of months, I've been reading all sorts of interviews and uh, articles um, that kind of reflect on Tim Keller's legacy and his life. Tim Keller was a pastor in the US in New York who pioneered a church in New York City he was a humble, faithful leader of his church. He was a man who thought carefully and profoundly, had a deep sense of God's presence. He died a few months ago of pancreatic cancer. But in the lead up to his death, he gave a couple of longer interviews, particularly on how he saw the state of the church in the US. I want to read to you a couple of things that he said. And you need to understand by this stage, his pancreatic cancer was fairly advanced and um, they were doing all sorts of treatment, but he had a sense of what was happening. And when he was asked these questions, he took time to deeply reflect before he gave his answers. He said this, he was asked about the US church and he said this, I would love the church to recapture its ability to learn from people that we disagree with on other things. I would love the church to recapture its ability to learn from people that we disagree with on other things. 
we would be a more harmonious church if we could affirm what's good in someone else while acknowledging our disagreements with them. I just think that's a really healthy way to be a Christian. It builds people up and it builds the unity of the church while it preserving the integrity of the gospel. And we're commanded to do both. I want to say that I think that's such an important statement for a time such as this. In 2021, we invited Tim Hanna to lead a retreat day for the staff here at the church. Tim Hanna had been CEO of Compassion and had also been senior pastor at Gateway Baptist Church in Brisbane. He had a very, very impressive track record as a humble, gracious leader in God's church. And during the day, he made the comment that every morning he prays this prayer. God, help me not to be easily offended today. God, help me not to be easily offended today. I remember listening to what he said and thinking, oh, that's interesting, but not really thinking that was terribly significant or applicable to me. But that's changed during the last couple of years. Help me not to be easily offended today. Help me not to be easily offended in this church and for the sake of this church. And at the risk of offending, I believe that some of you need to pray this prayer because we seem to be surrounded by those who want to be offended and go looking for reasons to be offended. And we cannot allow that to creep into the church, particularly in this season. Raise concerns by all means, but do it as part of a family and do it prayerfully and humbly. And this brings me to the final quote by Keller. Tim Keller was asked, is Christianity going away in the US? And his response was this. All religions promote and call for prayer. But historically, during times of growth and renewal, Christian movements have been marked by an extraordinary amount of communal prayer. During the early years of the explosive Christian movement in Korea, all-night prayer meetings were common, and they remain so in many parts of the country to this day. During the 18th century, Great Awakening in America, Jonathan Edwards wrote of the explicit agreement and visible union of God's people in extraordinary prayer meetings, praying for revival and praying for their churches. Unions of believers for prayer, both large and small, have an empowering effect. And then Keller concluded by saying this, the renewed growth of the church in the United States, and I believe here in Australia, will not happen without a commitment to communal prayer. This morning we have gathered. We are the church. My prayer has been that as a church, we will continue to understand our identity as children of God, that we have the full rights 
as a child of God. And that we might understand our identity as a family of God. The family of God. And we see that we have rights and responsibilities in that as well. We have deliberately brought the kids and the youth in. We are all part of the whole. And each part is just as important. This morning you have name tags on. Let me be honest. That's mainly for my benefit. I'm struggling some mornings. I meet someone the week before. I see them the next morning walk through the door and I am rolling through names left, right and centre. And I usually go and get someone I can introduce them to and say, would you like to meet these people? And then I listen for the name. Um, But you have. You have name tags on. What I'm going to ask you to do is this. This morning, let's try to be a family. Young ones, you've got to meet at least three old people. There's plenty of them. So wander around. I want you to meet some people. I want you to call them by their name. And if you have trouble pronouncing it, it's okay. But we're going to use each other's names. We're going to wander up to people and talk. And I'm going to ask you to to take a risk and move away from those that you might know so well. And I want to do something, take a leaf out of the Melbourne Footy Club's books. I'm going to ask Jess if she'll come up on stage, please. Yeah, you. Zoe, can you get those flowers for me? Her response when I said her name was me, and she's slowly making her way up here. This is Jess. Lots of you may not know her name, but you do now. So you are welcome now to wander up and talk to her. Every Sunday, (laughs) she helps look after the children. She does it beautifully. She does it with great care. She treats these children just so beautifully. And she does it um, because she believes that she's a child of God, that she has received so much from God And she wants to just pass that on. And Jess, I know that there's way more that you do. I know that if we talk to Bob and Denise, they will talk about the role that you've had in supporting Christianity Explained, for the way in which you've helped invite people, for the way in which you've cared for people, the way in which you've volunteered to babysit so the parents can do Christianity Explained. But I also have watched you, Jess, and over and over again, You have brought people that you have uh, had contact with through your work and through the school and you've invited them to church and you've cared for them and you've looked after them and you've even baptised them. And this year you've baptised a number of your friends. And I want to say to you, Jess, this morning, that this family is better off because of you. And we are so thankful for you. So, So that's one. So don't go anywhere. And all around us, there are people like Jess. We need to get up and meet them. So after this song, 
um, I would like you to meet some people. But Jess, we are so thankful for you. We are thankful for what you bring, but most, mostly for who you are. And uh, we want to pray for you and your son, Seth, as you continue to make your way through life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask us all to stand. And I'm going to pray a prayer. Father, we, um, because we're broken people, it's really easy for us to take all sorts of things for granted. We take you for granted. We take this church. We take each other for granted. And Lord, right now, we want to stop. I want to thank you that you love us so much. You loved us enough to send your son to die for us. You've offered us adoption into your family, that we are children of, of yours. And this morning, I pray that we will wrestle with that, allow that to penetrate our hearts. I pray, Lord, that we will become a church that embodies the gospel, that we share it. We don't just talk about it, we actually live it out. I pray that as a church, Father, we would care. Lord, help us not to become a church that gets offended easily. Help us to look for the best in others. Help us to bring the best out. But as a church right now, we stand because we want to honour Jess. Uh, we want to thank you for her humble, um, wonderful service, for the way in which she cares for the kids, for the way in which she cares for those that she encounters who sometimes are going through struggles. And Father, for her strong, passionate belief that every person needs you and needs to know about Jesus. I just thank you for her heart. I pray for her and Seth. I pray that you will continue to protect them and guide them and bless them. And Father, I just thank you for what I see standing up the front here, this diverse group that you have assembled. You have assembled us for a purpose. Help us to enter into that with humble obedience. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.